Fridays of the month, and we look forward to talking with you again. Thank you. Bye-bye. has finally arrived and with it an exhilarating rush of fresh air the new living expo at the concourse in san francisco dates are april 29th through may 1st celebrating 10 years of exploring better choices and new directions the expo returns with hundreds of exhibitors more than 90 highly respected speakers and three special events featuring daryl hannah with julia butterfly hill greg braden and dick gregory spring into a lively interactive and stimulating environment where new ideas blossom Relationships take root and bathe in the sweet realm of possibility. Listen to Amy Goodman, Danian Brinkley, and Caroline Casey. Eat, play, listen. Details and the program guide are online at newlivingexpo.com or call 415-382-8300. Sponsored by KPFA Radio. And this is 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. It is a minute past 3 p.m., and up next is Cover to Cover Open Book. Welcome to Open Book, Friday's edition of Cover to Cover. I am Malihe Razozan. In June 2009, as the presidential election day was approaching in Iran, there was a wave of enthusiasm and excitement sweeping through the country in anticipation of making then-President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad's first term his last. My name is Azadeh. I'm 23 and I'm studying medicine in Tehran. I'm in my sixth semester. Four years ago, I wasn't interested in politics yet. But the events of the last few years have brought me to the conclusion that I have to take a stand. That is why I started working as a voluntary election helper in one of Musabi's election offices. In the beginning, we fought for the right that people could even consider Musabi's program, let alone vote for him. When we rented the sports arena of Azadi Stadium for our rally, we were very worried that we wouldn't be able to fill even half the enormous hall. And then, May 23rd came. The energy, the excitement, the willpower to do something about the scandalous actions in the previous years, the disappointment and the high-handedness to want to change something, it was overwhelming. That day, I decided to join them. I had regained my faith in the people. But on Friday, June 12th, less than four hours after the polls had been closed, Ahmadinejad was declared the winner. Soon after, millions of Iranians took to the streets to protest the stolen presidential elections. German-Iranian documentary filmmaker Ali Samadi Ahadi was watching the government's violent crackdown of the protest from afar and in the midst of a complete media blackout, grainy cell phone images, blogs, Twitter posts became the main venue for pro-democracy protesters to document some of the regime's brutality. In his new award-winning documentary film, The Green Wave, 
Ali Samadi brings together fractured pieces of footage filmed on cell phones and testimony from bloggers in the country to document the brutality of the regime following mass protests that saw millions of Iranians take to the streets. When you saw all this violence on the streets in Iran, it was very clear. Nobody can sit there and watch only what is going on. Like other Iranians out of the country, I tried also my best to support them by sharing information from Iran with colleagues, by going to the demonstrations. But after a while, I became sick and tired from the situation that had the chance to react to the violence. And I didn't want it only to react anymore. I wanted to act in a way and to decide for myself what I would like to do. That was the reason why I started to make this film. Your film opens with a scene that shows a boy running on the streets and the narrator in the boy's voice is saying that his dad told him we are a nation which has been searching for its lost voice for the past 150 years. They failed time and again and now it's the young generation's time to try. It's luck. When you started making this film, how did you see the green movement? The Green Movement started with a very simple question, and that was, we want change. Yeah, and where is my vote? Well, the where is my vote became, uh, came right after the elections, when, when their wish for change yeah. disappeared. But the first thing was, before the election, was very clear. They didn't want Ahmadinejad anymore as a president, because they had the feeling that he is lying, to them and he is not representing them in a way how they wanted to be represented mm -hmm. and that was the main engine why people went to the elections and mobilized themselves but then when their wish when their option disappeared they were trying to play in a rule which was dictated by the system in a game which was dictated by the system they didn't want any regime change but they wanted within the system a change which can represent them in a way how they want it to be represented mm. and then suddenly things changed and this next question came up we played your game with your roles but where is now our vote and when the answer to this very simple question came as bullets then the question changed there was no more the question about where's my vote and where's my fundamental human rights which is part of the iranian constitution in a way or it is at least in the u.n charter which is signed by iranian system then they said okay if you don't respect me if you don't respect our fundamental rights then we have to uh, get rid of you in your documentary film the green wave you juxtapose animation and real-life footage next to personal narratives to show the brutal crackdown after the 2009 presidential elections in Iran. Why did you turn to animation to tell that story? Because we were not able to go to the country and make images and colleagues of us were either arrested or they were under real, real hard pressure. 
and a lot of journalists were arrested, lots of filmmakers disappeared. Even if you had a simple cell phone, the police would arrest you and make you disappear. And, and that was the situation where we started to make that film. So it was very clear that we are not going to go to Iran and be able to make images, especially because the events were in the past. So we had to reenact them. And I couldn't make any reenactment in Germany and playing the situation of Iran in Germany. It would harm the film more than it would help them. And that was the reason why I had to deal with the images I got. So these were mostly images from news agencies. These were mostly images from internet and also images from courageous people. They helped us by smuggling images out of the country. And even though I got all these images, I was not able to tell the whole story with that images because they were like broken puzzle pieces. And I had to find another language, visual language and narrative language to feed this gap. And for that, I used blogs because Iranians are very strong in blogging. And for visualization of these blogs, which are more or less telling different aspects of this event, I decided to use animation because the texts are so strong that I wanted to give them more space by keeping the images abstract and give the texts more possibility to link themselves with the audience directly. And you also used Twitter messages. Yes. And as you said, you relied on a lot of real footage, meaning cell phone images that protesters captured during the protests. And some of the initial images that you have were from the news agencies, but really very early on in the protest, because mm -hmm. a few weeks after the protest began in June, they basically canceled all the um, journalist permits and they threw them out of the country. So yeah. we only relied on those quote-unquote amateur footage, as they call them here. Yeah. So how did you verify the authenticity of these images and these Twitter posts? Well, from Twitter messages, I went through about three and a half thousand pages on Twitter messages. If you have ever read, get in contact with Twitter, Twitter is nothing literally high quality thing. So going through three and a half thousand pages, it is really, really painful job and searching the right messages. And for the blogs, I, we went through 1,500 pages of blogs and uh, we had tons and tons of images we got from Iran. You know, when people via Twitter, via blogs, via YouTube, via Facebook are describing the same situation from different perspectives, then it becomes reliable and believable. And so that is the main tool for me, or that was the main tool for me, to see what took place in, on the streets of Iran. On the other hand, I am not really worried about data. I don't care so much about data. It doesn't matter for me if they killed 50 or 500 or 5,000. If they put 200 people in jail or 200,000 just because they asked for their fundamental rights, the question is something else. The question is what even five people have to be killed just because they asked for their rights. 
just because they asked where is my vote and this question we are not talking about policy we are talking about fundamental rights of human being which is the basic of all relationships economically politically and also culturally and this i would say is very obvious that in iran in the last two years the iranian government and the iranian system really fighted all the right their own people one of the scenes i remember also when i was watching the protests unfold in iran in 2009 a clip that shows security forces on rooftops shooting at people and mm-hmm. killing them mm-hmm. and i read in one of the interviews you did you said there were 100 cameras mm-hmm. that kept filming these sniper shooters on the rooftops in Tehran yeah. and that was amazing that there yeah. were 100 people capturing exactly the same crime at the same time and we just got to see maybe a couple of them yeah and that is something i would say when uh, if the situation changes in iran if really people are free and secure to talk about what took place 2009 after the elections then so many things will come up it is so interesting also painful to see there was a footage where where the police cars run over uh, women and killed her exactly like what happened in egypt and then there was a big discussion because the the image went through the whole internet and uh, news agencies and the iranian system had to react to that and then the court asked for people who were there in that moment to come and to testify what took place there and there was a lady which were ready to testify and when she went to the court they arrested her and put her for i think two or three years in jail just because she wanted to testify what what took place there they also arrest their lawyers yeah they don't care about lawyer or activists or family members they do their best to keep the pressure as high as they can and that makes the situation very unique i mean if you look to the situation in egypt or in tunisia or even to the uh, revolution in 1979 in iran the mosques were all the time safe place for the people so if the people went to the mosques they were more or less security what they made in islamic republic of iran when the people went to the mosque to be secure they started to burn the mosques down and it was never happened in shah's regime during the revolution but in the islamic republic so-called islamic republic besieges went to the roofs of the mosque to shoot at the demonstrators and people who were screaming Allah Akbar were killed in the Islamic Republic so that shows what that means for them to have certain kind of ethic moral rules they don't care about any of them I was arrested on July 8th I'm 21 I can still hardly believe that I'm free again that day I was riding around by motorbike with a friend and my friend was filming on his cell phone when suddenly plainclothes men attacked us and beat us up. They threw us into a bus full of injured and wounded people and took us to a police station. I had been beaten up so badly that I didn't recognize where exactly we were going. 
Then they lined us up against the wall. Me and my friend were standing next to each other. A stout man in plain clothes came over to us, grabbed every other person and threw them back into the bus. I haven't heard from my friend since. They took me and a bunch of other people to Kahrizak prison. It was unbelievable. The room they threw us into was packed with 200 prisoners. All of them were wounded. All the walls were covered with blood. Suddenly, some people started screaming and crying. One person had died. The voices came from the back of the room. Suddenly, some guards stormed in, smashed the lights, and started beating us up in total darkness. They just hit anyone who happened to be there. They beat us up for half an hour. Some fell into a coma. Some even lost their lives. I couldn't believe what was happening. When I found this blog, I was talking about his experiences in Kazakh. It was, I think, two or three weeks after the elections. The situation was really hard and very, very violent in Iran. Around about three or four months later, when we already started to produce the film and to produce the animations, the Iranian National Broadcasting Service, which is in the hands of the regime, showed images from Kahrizak and made interviews about what was taking place in Kahrizak. And which was very interesting was that all the informations we had in this blog were more or less the same like the informations what they showed in the TV. Mm. In the TV, they didn't talk about raping people, about torturing them. But they were talking about how three people were killed. Not exactly why they were killed in jail or in this detention center, but that they passed away. We know that more than 200 people were killed during that nine months on the streets, and the hospitals in jails, there are so many people are injured and they fear to go to hospitals or to doctors because their risk is too high that they would be... Like arrested. what's happening in Bahrain. Yes. And this showed so many people the brutality what took place in Kahrizak and other prisons. Also in the streets, also in the hospitals, showed very well that this government is not willing to hear what these people want and that changed the view of the majority for this regime. And that is, I think, the big change which started with where is my vote and now they don't ask anymore about the, their vote, they ask about the regime change. And there is also a very moving animation scene in which a young nurse remembers protesters who were brought in into a hospital in Tehran. Yesterday it was madness at our hospital. Although they were instructed to take any injured protesters to military hospitals, all the other hospitals were filled to the brink. Nine people died in our hospital yesterday. Nine people are dead and 28 badly injured. The colleagues cried until the early hours of the morning. 
Secret Service and the militia collected the bodies and threw them onto trucks before we even had a chance to establish their identity. They forbid us to do so. What can one say about such cruelty? What can you say to the family of a 13-year-old boy who died in a hail of bullets and whose body disappeared? Were you able to get some actual testimonies from people inside Iran who could corroborate this story and give you more information about it? Well, there are so many people. They came up after the elections and talked about experiences. As I said, there are so many people. They are really badly injured and badly beaten. Some of them can't walk anymore. Some of them have the bullets and bodies still, but they can't go to hospitals to have these operations and so on. When my film started in Germany, a lady came to me and said, we are trying to help these injured people in Iran by organizing them some medical support outside Iran. The number is so huge, it's so horrible what they had to go through during that time. It is ironic that Iranian regime talks about brutality towards the protesters in Bahrain and Iran's foreign minister is asking United Nations action to end suppression of Bahraini yeah. protesters while they do not recognize UN's Human Rights Commission inquiry into Iran's human rights violation. I mean, last month, as I'm sure you know, UN Human Rights Council established a special investigator on Iran and Iran's ambassador, uh, Saeed Mohammad Sajjadi had called for the resolution to be rejected, saying Tehran was committed to upholding human rights, but believed it's self-monitoring. Well, this is a question of power, and this is the question of fear. If it comes out what was t taken or what is taking place in the jails, it will be a big problem for the system. So why should they accept that when they know that they have something to lose? And in the other hand, I would say this is nothing new for us. All the powerful countries, all the countries which have, in a sense, something to lose, they behave like that. You can ask yourself why United States till now didn't accept to be part of the International Criminal Court which would be a great step for the humanity, for the, for the whole world, clear signal when the United States would sign up the International Criminal Court. But because we always, also in so-called democratic countries uh, where we live, you in the U.S., me in Germany, sometimes we are not honest with ourselves. We have big problem, and in our foreign policy especially, we are not honest at all. And with that, if we are not honest, how we can expect that the others should be honest? And I think this is the point. It doesn't matter what the foreign minister of Iran says or not says, because the system is a dictatorship. But the other question is how we are behaving in a democracy, in freedom, where human rights should be the highest issue for us. So Ali, when you were watching all these popular mass uprisings throughout the Middle East and North Africa, from Libya to Yemen, 
How did you compare those mass protests and their demands to what went on in Iran in 2009? Well, I think the movement in Iran was the beginning. As Payam Akhavan says in our film, this was a tidal wave which irreversibly changed the whole Middle East. And this was the sentence he said 15 months ago. So there was nothing about Middle East. But now I think people not only in the Middle East but the entire world understood that the monopoly of information is no longer in the hand of the powerfuls. Everybody is able not only to get information but also to produce information and share it with the whole world. And this changed the whole rules of the playing power. And I think this showed also that the people in the region are not uh, looking for ideological system anymore, but they are looking for a system which take them serious and take their questions serious and take their needs serious. Mm-hmm. And all these movements are very much linked to each other. And I, I, I believe that this crisis uh, will come once again to Iran and change also the situation in Iran. But not only the Iran, like Middle Asia is a big part of the world where I believe that this movement will also reach them. China, Africa, all these countries will have this movement. And I think this movement is historically so important like maybe the French Revolution. So you really think that uh, the Iranian government and other governments in the region, they have lost the information war? And they didn't lost it, but they have a big, big problem with that. I think till now the monopoly uh, of information was in their hand, but it is not anymore. And this is a big difference to the situations years before. This challenge changed the whole rules. That doesn't mean that they lost it, but they have at least to fight for cutting down people from information and from uh, news, which is not that easy in the world we are living. Ali, you relied mainly for your documentary film on social networking sites like Twitter and blogs and also cell phone images to piece together what happened after the 2009 rigged presidential elections in Iran. Has it ever been done in a documentary? One reviewer said, you did not know that this process would create its own definition, a new trend for intellectual documentary filmmaking. Well, it is the beginning of, of a kind of uh, filmmaking uh, because you can make a very, with a very simple cell phone incredibly high definition images and you can use for cinema and you can share them immediately with the whole world. This changed the rules and you can see that the Iranian government, even they put their filmmakers into jails, they put them under pressure, they were not able to stop filmmakers making a film about the situation in Iran. So if the people in Iran, if the filmmakers, if my colleagues can't make it in Iran, somebody else will come up and make it out of the country. And the situation is not comparable to 79 or 80s where we were really cut off from the information flow, but we are able to use all this information and all this testifies to make a film out of the country.
that we are part of a nation that has been searching for its lost voice for 150 years. And he said, we've come quite close. We just have to reach out and we'll regain it. His generation often tried but failed time after time. Then it was our turn to try our luck. And for a few weeks, we had the feeling of being as close to our target as never before. Today, when I see the blood-smeared walls, I fear that once again it was nothing more than just an illusion. documentary film, The Green Wave, will be screened at this year's San Francisco International Film Festival, which began on Thursday, April 21st, and it will run through May 5th. The Green Wave will be screened tomorrow, April 23rd, at 4 p.m. at the Pacific Film Archives in Berkeley, also on Sunday, April 24th, and Monday, May 2nd. For more information, please visit San Francisco International 